Welcome back to TechVets, the podcast. Today, we're joined by Shaw, who is Global Threat Hunting Manager at Microsoft. Welcome, Shaw. Can you first tell me what your um, job role is at the moment? Yeah, so at the moment, I lead Microsoft's threat hunting um, group across uh, MSRC, which is Microsoft Security Response Center. Um, we're responsible for doing threat hunting over M365 stack, Azure stack, and then the EDG space, which is like um, devices, Xbox gaming, and things like that. Oh my goodness. How did you get into that role? Um, kind of by luck, uh, really, but also by kind of personal passion. So um, when I started work at Microsoft, um, I was hired as a software engineer, but as a vendor. Um, and I ended up being hired onto this team that was doing kind of cybersecurity. Um, but I was doing kind of triage level cybersecurity. So just taking a look at security events, triaging them and things like that. And throughout my career, I've changed a lot of different roles and a lot of different jobs within that SOC. Um, and after after about a year or so, I was hired on full-time at Microsoft doing um, what's called PIR, like post-incident response um, and, and managing a little bit higher level incidents and more systemic trends. And then I moved over into the incident response and investigations forensics type role. Um, shortly after that, I moved uh, to start and build out a, a team, which we call, uh, it's basically our, our detections and analytics group. Um, and then this was about five years ago, there was a lot of really big incidents that were happening over um, the holiday season, things like WannaCry and things that um, and my team was really really small at the time and we were basically running really high I think we had six analysts at the time and half of them were either off sick or out on the holidays and so we were just spinning non-stop and and so as part of that my team um, requested headcount to expand globally and and with that my then boss um basically sponsored me to come out here to the UK and build out the UK version of our US team and then also the Hyderabad group. Um, so now we're a fully global SOC. Um, and once I handed off that lead role for the SOC management role to the now manager, um, I stepped back into the more technical role. But in doing so, that left me with without a project or without anything in that, that I could really work on. And threat hunting has always been one of those passions of mine. And so um, I started by building this small little virtual team um, within my team where I was just kind of doing it on the side. So while I was doing investigations and response, um, I would be looking for adversaries and reverse engineering binaries and looking at some of that tradecraft and behavior within our infrastructure. Um, and then we ended up finding a couple um, pretty big actors within the environment. Um, but at the, because I was doing it part-time, I didn't have the bandwidth to really dedicate to it. And so I put together a kind of a business proposal of what it would take to kind of create a proactive threat hunting group. Um, and then I just proposed either I need to drop the threat hunting stuff and go back to full time, like just doing investigations in response, or if the business would fund this like threat hunting team, 
Um, this is this is the type of things that we could be doing. And then I just outlined how we would lay the program out and how we would, you know, um, use the resources and stuff like that. Um, and we ended up getting funding for that. And so for the last probably two years or so now, um, we've been building out and, and, and I've been leading this team um, globally. So, so it was a really long-winded answer to, to your question. Uh, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely um, stumped by what you've achieved. So how long have you, have you worked in cybersecurity? Um, for probably about nine years or so, if we look at my vendor time plus the, um, plus my uh, full time. Um, but I've been like, I've dabbled with security and dabbled with, uh, computers and, and things like that since I was a kid, uh, way back in the day. Um, and, but I would say like, if we count my career, probably like nine years or so consistently. And what's it like working for Microsoft, which, I mean, is arguably the leading company in in software globally? Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I love it. I think there it's it's a massive company, as you said, and especially with the, the job that I that I do, it's there's always something new to do. And even even within doing the same job every day, I'm rarely doing the same thing every day. Um, as a as a manager of a global team, I, I tend to do more repetitive things because I'm trying to measure the business and build some of that stuff out and be able to help articulate some of those um, like successes and wins and shortcomings and things like that to our senior leadership. But like, if I want to jump into a hunt or if I want to partner with one of my analysts that's working on something, like I have that flexibility and I can go and do that. Um, as far as like the business and like working for Microsoft culturally is probably one of the best things I've, I've ever done. Um, they're just so flexible and very open-minded to just about everything. Um, a little bit of background. So before I joined Microsoft, I worked at Microsoft or I worked in the army and I was doing, I was a linguist for, for the army. Um, and before that, I was like managing a restaurant and and doing some other things. So it's lots of different environments um, that I've been in, and this is by far just the most inclusive and and the most kind of flexible for for what I need. Um, so uh, one example of that is like coming over here to the UK. Uh, we hit the big pandemic and everything. Microsoft has kind of pushed itself really heavily into this hybrid work lifestyle and things like that, especially now that people can go back into the offices. But as a part of that, like my wife and I have had multiple kids while we were here and like, I get to spend every day with my kids just because I can work from home. And like, so I can separate my time out whenever I need to and either work before they get up or work after they go down and I don't have to work a designated time period sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I hope that answers your question. Very much so. It must be a world away from the role that you had in the military. And you just mentioned that you were a linguist. And mm -hmm. for listeners, which army did you serve with and what language did you speak? Or do you speak? So I was, I was in the, the U.S. Army uh, and I speak, read and write Arabic um, as, as part of that. Uh, career path you they train you to be fluent in all three um 
And so I did that for about seven years. Um, and then as I was getting out, there's a program that I think TechFets is actually starting to look into partnering with, but it's called the MSSA, which is started to be hosted by Microsoft as well, um, where they put you through this kind of like piping journey where you're, they're helping support veterans as they're getting out of the, um, out of the military to learn IT skills in various different roles. Um, at the time, the one that I joined and was going through was software engineering um, and testing code and things like that. Was that always your plan on leaving the military to enter something techy? Did you know it was cybersecurity from the off? No, I had I had no idea. To be fair, um, I it was always one of my dream jobs to to work at Microsoft or Google or one of the the bigger companies doing software engineering. Uh, I'm very creative when it like I, I would my preferred working style is building and creating things, developing things. Um, I and so that's why I decided to pursue the MSSA like uh, software engineering path because I was hoping to get into some sort of development role. Um, when I was when I I actually went through the whole MSSA program and at the end of that there's an opportunity for um, you to interview with different companies and so like I came and I interviewed with Microsoft at the onset. Um, but there were only two engineering roles available for a class of 40 software engineers that were going through this. Um, and needless to say, I was told no uh, at, at the onset. Um, and the response that I got for my feedback was, you just need more training. You need to go back and spend some time like going through school and getting a proper education. And so that was actually what my plan was going to be. I was planning on flying out to Utah, uh, and which is where my family's from. Um, and just getting my college degree. But literally, the, like the day that I was about to fly out and move back home, um, I got a call from this um, vendor company that works, that was like working parallel with Microsoft. Um, and they offered me a job. And when they offered me the job, they told me it was a software engineering job and that that's what the role was going to be. And so I just thought it was like a dream come true kind of thing. And when I showed up to work that that Monday, it ended up being a cybersecurity triage role, like it just doing cybersecurity. So there was no actual software engineering involved. Um, but that kind of led to my, was part of my, uh, it was an advantage to me in that sense, because as I got into that role, a lot of the things that the, that the team was doing were very automatable and they were very repetitive. And so I used that part of my skill set and background and training that I'd just gone through to kind of automate away a lot of that stuff and build out some like training guides and things like that to really help make things more fluid. And that's what ended up getting me the full-time job. So that's just an amazing journey. lucky ran random happenstance really is, is what a lot of luck. So how did you feel when you got that first rejection did it motivate you did it turn you off um i i'm very much a, a realist at heart and and i think when i was going through my interviews i was really excited so um there were a few different roles that were being interviewed for so when when the class of 40 came in to do their interviews with microsoft we had everything from like network engineers to software engineering to like customer reps and sales and things like that and i had my kind of heart set on 
software engineering. Um, and there were probably four other people in my class that were like just rock stars at software engineering already. They had, some of them even had like their bachelor's or even master's in software engineering already. So like looking at those and then looking at like the roles that were available when we were going in to do our interviews, I had already kind of set my expectations a little bit low to be a bit realistic. So like, I know there are only two spots here, right? And, and I know there are these many people ahead of me that are doing really well in this class and um, like, I actually work with a lot of these, these folks now today anyway. Um, But I don't know, it it was a bit of a bummer, a little bit of a letdown, but at the same time I use that more of as like, okay, yeah, I kind of already knew I needed to go get like a proper degree and a proper education. Um, Or at least that's what my thought was. Um, Most working for most big companies, you would expect that you would need, you know, uh, some sort of graduate degree of, you know, um, and that's that's another thing you, you had asked, like, what's some, some of the things that I like about working for Microsoft is we actually don't care about that. I mean, we, we do to an extent, but like I've, I'm now nine years into my career, eight years into my career, and I still don't have a degree. Right. So you you don't you can be fully self-taught as long as you're passionate and motivated and can build those stepping stones for yourself. And um, a lot of like the stuff that tech vets offers, like most of that stuff isn't going to necessarily get you a degree, but it's going to build the right skills and the right knowledge base that you can actually use to get your, your foot in the door and actually start working in the space. How important do you think your military experience was when you went to interview? Did you get asked about it? Did you talk about it? Um, I think, I, I don't know that it was super important. I think there was actually a lot of apprehension when we first were being interviewed because there was still a pretty heavy stigma when I was getting out of the military that like military guys are kind of just jarheads and, and they like, they're just really aggressive and they're hard to get along with. And, um, they, they're just kind of thick headed and, we had to kind of fight that stigma when we were going through things, but also because of the line of work that I worked in as a linguist, a lot of the work that we do is like highly classified and confidential. So I couldn't even talk about most of my work that I was doing there. Um, Where I did get asked about it was much more around kind of the soft skills conversations and things like that when we're getting interviews. Um, And I think a lot of that stuff just translates anyway. Uh, You just have to be able to, kind of generify what you're talking about when you're, even if you're talking about highly classified or sensitive information, think about, well, what's already public? What, what are things that you see in the news all the time and people talking about all the time? Generify it to that level and then you can still somewhat talk about those things. And so, um, but most of the questions and things that I got asked around military, being in the military were more about like my leadership experience and how I would manage certain situations or how did I interact with certain people when I got into those different situations. And honestly, it, it wouldn't matter if I was from the military background or from, from any other um, just technical background or, or other um, background in general. It's just having that experience to be able to speak to it. Um, I think one of the benefits of being in the military is you kind of have this discipline about you and you and you are kind of drilled into understanding how to talk about yourself from a military perspective. Um, and one of the things that 
as a interviewing analyst uh, or an interviewing soldier that's coming out that you like you just have to learn what those the to change the terminology and the jargon from your military jargon to what the civilian speak is and if you can do that and you can create that simple translation in your brain then talking about those things becomes really really easy so um that's actually one of the things that I try and do with the tech vets and how I try and help support the tech vets um, members is, is by doing interview support and helping with CV reviews and um, just helping them understand how to approach an interview when, when all they know is the, the, the military background sort of thing. How did you come across tech, vet, tech vets? Um, well, I think, again, this was just kind of random happenstance. So um, I actually knew a guy that I'd worked with um, who was over here, and he introduced me to James when James was literally just barely starting out the the group. So, like, there there were maybe four or five of us volunteering with James to kind of build some some security content out and, and, and help out some veterans getting uh, interview support and just CV support. And at that point, that point in time um i was like yeah i already i was already doing the same type of work for the mssa so with the microsoft systems and software academy uh, as a graduate of that they encourage you basically to go back into the program and be a mentor to those candidates so you're kind of feeding this whole cycle of helping soldiers get tech jobs and then going back and once you've been in, you go back and help those, you know, the next group feeds the next group. So I was already doing the same stuff with MSSA. And then I saw the stuff that TechFets was doing now that I'm over here in the UK and they didn't have MSSA here. And so I was struggling to match my hours up with the US side, but still looking for some way to support veterans and um, people, people like me. Um, and I ended up just like, again, more luck just as it would have it just meeting up with James and um and some of his partners and starting to develop some of that content it sounds absolutely brilliant the way you've just dived in to support tech vets members and for those listening who want to follow in your footsteps and head down the, the more technical route but haven't necessarily got the background or the confidence but they're doing the courses they're working through they don't necessarily have a degree what advice would you give to them ahead of their first technical interview um advice uh, the the first thing that i would say is try to find yourself a mentor i mean I, I know within the tech vets community if you're in the discord there are a lot of people that you can speak to and work with to to get some of that interview support but just make sure you have a couple mock interviews to even just discuss what role you're looking to go into. Because there are so many different fields and even kind of nuances within the fields that you're going into within the security realm that if you say, like, I'm, I'm interviewing for a SOC analyst position, you know, that could mean something drastically different both depending on the company that you're applying for and the size of that company. So if you're applying for a small company and then there are maybe a couple thousand employees total, the 
chances are if you're, if you're applying for them as a SOC analyst, you're actually going to be doing a lot more than just a SOC analyst role. You'll probably be filling your IT support role, some networking engineering support, um, as well as building and maintaining detections and response and kind of handling the whole gambit of things. The bigger the company is, the more bandwidth they typically have and the more resourcing they typically have to fill those individual roles. So it becomes much more tailored and much more focused into what you would actually be doing. The same thing is said for the business um, kind of pillar that you're going into. So if you're, you could be going in to be a SOC analyst for an IT firm, or you could be going into being a SOC analyst for a financial firm, right? Or even a mobile, like a telecommunications firm. And your role as an analyst in each of those firms is going to be drastically different because of the type of data you're going to be looking at and the, the way the adversaries are going to be targeting those systems. So you as an analyst, we'll need to understand what that looks like. So to back to your question, like advice for, for somebody that's just barely starting going through these courses and is about to go through one of their technical interviews, find somebody to talk to within the, within the tech vets group or within, you know, um, another support group and, and just walk them through what's, who's the company you're, you're interviewing with, what's the role you're applying for, because chances are they can actually help tailor and ask you some of those questions and help you get an expectation of what you're looking for. Um, the second thing is research the company that you're looking at. Research the company you're looking to go interview for. Um, that will tell you a lot about their ethos, the way that they operate, what they're going to expect of you as an analyst. Um, and then also understand what have they been attacked by or targeted by in the recent past, or um, even um, say, say for instance, you're going to apply for a bank and you're going to be a SOC analyst. You should know some of the common attack paths or the, some of the common like recent attacks within banks. And you may not need to know all the technical details and the nitty gritty, but having awareness that like, oh, banks are being targeted this way is going to help you speak to those things when you come up in your interview. Um, as a technical interviewer myself and somebody that that's hired a lot, quite a few people and interviewed a lot of people across the company, one of the things that that we look for is that adaptability, looking for how somebody kind of has that passion to look for things. As, as a SOC analyst or an investigator or a forensics analyst or a hunter, like that passion to, to learn things and the passion to like find out more is really what drives people more like and it will make you a much more successful analyst than somebody that just knows the textbook answers for things um and so be curious is the the last bit of advice that i would say what kind of questions do you think that they should expect beyond the technical side what are some typical questions that could i mean i know it depends as you just said it depends on the sector they're going into but are there yeah. any generic questions that come up time and time again, or that when you're interviewing, you throw at people to see how they respond? Um, yeah, I think it, it's definitely going to depend on the company that, that you're applying for. Um, at Microsoft, we have a few different ways that we do it. So we have uh, a pretty, what, what we try to do is we try to make a really diverse panel of interviews um, and that that encompasses both technical interviews and non-technical interviews so 
within your technical section, that's going to be very tailored towards whatever your role is usually. But then you'll also have um, potentially technical interviews, interviews that are adjacent to your role. So people that you might work with or other products that you might be integrating with, things like that. Then for your non-technical roles, the kinds of questions that you'll typically end up getting are going to be much more around your behavior and the way that you would handle certain situations um, or being able to describe how you manage your work or your projects and things like that, especially um, things like, hey, when was the last time that you had to manage a project from start to finish? And then being able to articulate what that looks like. And, and this is, these come up with a lot of interviews where you're either going to be joining kind of a project management role or a leadership role or um, a more senior level role. Because typically as you're going into those senior level roles, that's what's expected. But those same questions will still probably be asked at a junior level role just to see how much aptitude there is for that. Um, and this is something that we do at Microsoft is to gauge aptitude rather than just technical, like just textbook knowledge is if somebody can grok the, the, some of those things and be fed a little bit of information and be able to build on top of it, that shows that they have that growth mindset and they can receive information and work off of it and communicate back and forth with each other. They're probably going to be a pretty good hire. Um, whereas in, if, in that same situation, if I ask that question and they just like, I don't know, you know, they, they, there's no feedback, there's no back and forth. Um, it makes it really difficult to collaborate with them and things like that. Um, the other, the other things that I would say are just your, your standard, like kind of what are your, your weaknesses and what, when, what was the last time that you had a disagreement with a coworker kind of questions. And it's, they're very much soft skill things. How, how do you communicate? How do you collaborate? Um, because as a security analyst and a SOC analyst, chances are you're going to find something. You're going to have an incident. You're going to have something. And the next step is reaching out and talking with somebody. It's reaching out to a manager. It's reaching out to a partner team. And you have to have that skill set to be able to talk them through what did you find, why is it important, and being able to tell them that story of like what needs to be fixed. That's really good advice. And I think that will reassure a lot of people who are listening, who are potentially preparing for that, that first interview, or, you know, maybe they faced rejection and they're preparing for the next one. What advice would you give to those people who come out of an interview and just think, oh, what, what next? I fluffed that. What do I do? Um, and just yeah. getting them giving giving them the confidence just to keep to keep going and keep trying what what are, what's your best advice to those individuals um i mean i think this is one of those things where especially if you're moving into a new career right you're moving into this new career path that practice makes progress right and every time you go through one of these interviews you're gaining insights into what is needed right and and if you go through an interview and you feel like you've completely just bombed it and you're just like, holy crap, there's so much in this interview that I just had no clue what was going on. You should be 
taking a second to be reflective of that. And, and that's, it's actually okay that you didn't know those things, right? But being mindful and retrospective about what you didn't know gives you that opportunity to say, okay, now I need to go study these things. These are the things that I need, I should know that I'm being asked by a professional company that wants to potentially hire me. So then when you go to your next interview, you should know those things. Right. You shouldn't be going to a whole nother interview without having studied those things, because chances are you're going to get asked very similar, if not the same questions, if you're applying for the same type of role. Um, so to me, I, I would say take a look at it as more of an opportunity and, and kind of a look behind that glass door of, hey, I've just been given all of these questions that I now know are applicable to this role that I want. I should probably know those back and forward. Um, that, that would be my, my recommendation. Uh, I know it's hard to get the, the rejection letter. Um, one thing that I would say is be mindful of the current both macro and microeconomic uh, you know, world that we're in right now from an economic perspective, right? The, so many tech companies are laying off lots of people um, and the hiring is kind of at an all-time low from, from those spaces, even though there are still like needed cybersecurity professionals. So your competition is going up, right, from within this space. So take every time you get a no, not necessarily as, as a, hey, you just failed at this and you, and, and you need to just go pursue something else, but take a look at it as this was an opportunity for me to learn and grow. And now next time I go into this next interview, you should have that in your back pocket. Is it ever okay to ask for feedback if you get a rejection? Should you... Um, approach them for feedback on the interview? Will they, will they get it? I, I would say, please do. Um, I'm, I'm very proactive in my, um, in my interviews with, with candidates whenever they're interviewing me. Um, and I will give them feedback before they even leave the session with me. Um, and, and that's more just to either like both set them at ease, but also help make sure they have guided direction as to what they need to do in order to land this role. Um, most of the job postings that I've posted for, for my team specifically anyway, are very senior level research oriented kind of roles. So they're not typically your entry level roles, but I typically end up getting a lot of entry level applicants. Um, and that's okay with me. I'm, I, I, love interviewing people. And so I will go through those and I will help educate them what are the next steps that they need to do and here are the spots that they're weak in. And I'm hoping that they take from just the questions that I've asked them throughout the session of these are kind of topics that you need to really understand and, and be mindful of um, so that when they go to interview on another, you know, another team that they'll have some of that in their back pocket. But yes, please, please always ask for feedback. If they don't give it to you, that's kind of a shame on them, uh, in my opinion. And that's not to call out any companies or anything. But like, if you're going to reject a, cust uh, um, a candidate, and you're not going to tell them why that 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 to me, that just is kind of bad practice. Uh, it, it doesn't show any it doesn't give them anything to go off of or any room to grow. Um, and yeah, but I, I know that it happens all the time. I know that people get just kind of stonewalled as soon as they're denied, um, whether that be to lack of resourcing or lack of time. I, I don't know. It's, it's just a, not the way that I prefer to do it. So I think that's really good advice. So for listeners, I mean, at the start, when we started talking, we were talking about, you know, your love of being a threat hunter. 
Um, for for people listening who think that sounds really cool, how do you? What's the what are the best courses or what's the starting point if someone is listening? And they think I want to be like Shaw. I want to be a threat hunter. Where would you recommend they start? Uh, that's a that's a tricky question because there's there's a lot of paths that you can go down to get to being a threat hunter, right? Um, I think it depends on what what actually excites you about being a threat hunter. Uh, and then the reason I say this is because there are many different ways to threat hunt. Um, the way that my team and my project operates is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what the, is called the pyramid of pain, um, but it's, it's a pyramid that describes different indicators from an actor and how difficult it is both for you to hunt for them, but also how difficult it is for an adversary to adjust and change those types of behaviors, right? So at the bottom of this pyramid, you're looking at mainly IOCs like hashes and IP, IP addresses and URLs. And as you move up to the, to the top, it's, it's all about behaviors and techniques and tool sets. And the higher you get to that top of the pyramid, the more difficult it is to hunt for those adversaries, but it's also just as difficult for those adversaries if you can identify that behavior or that technique or that tactic, it's that much difficult, more difficult for them to adjust those things because they've typically invested a lot of money into that space and they've typically like spent a lot of resources to create that. And also it's very difficult for humans to adjust patterns um, when, when you get into those rhythms of business. And so it's just more difficult, but anyway, so to answer your question, like what are the best courses? there are, really aren't a lot of courses for threat hunting out there and, and specifically. So what I would actually recommend doing is start with some of the basics of, of forensics, network analysis, just standard security fundamentals. Once you're really comfortable and familiar with those things, then it turns into the next step, which is being curious about why is it important, right? How does an adversary manipulate this stuff? Um, and then it then there are designated courses. There's some SANS courses. There's some TCM courses. There's uh, a couple like splattered about. You can what I would actually recommend, and this is something for all of my mentees that I go through, is just take a look at things like TriHackMe or Hack the Box. They have fully free subscriptions to them. You, like you don't have to do the paid stuff. They will teach you how adversaries act. Right? They they teach you how to pen test. They teach you how to like attack boxes but then as an but then as a defender and as a hunter your job is to flip that on its head right your job is to take a look at what does that look like and then play it against your own environment and say what artifacts are created what kind of logging is left behind How, what does an adversary do to move from here to here and you just have to start building these blocks yourself to understand what it looks like from the defender perspective because as of as of right now there's really not a lot of interactive courses to do some of these things um, another avenue that you can go down is looking at things like bug bounty training or zero day hunting training and things like that where they'll take you down the path of understanding how to find just standard exploits and things against software based and software and code bases and things like that but then again to become a hunter for those things, it's how do you take that knowledge and apply it and think about 
how does an adversary use that knowledge to attack my system or to chain multiple of these CVEs together to then become an exploit, right? And that's, there. there's no training, to my knowledge, there is no designated training course to become a threat hunter. You can get there from any number of different ways. Um, the most successful threat hunters that I've seen in the field typically come from a security forensics and incident response background. And that's because the foundational knowledge that you need within, within being a threat hunter comes from that knowledge set of what forensics artifacts are left, left behind, how are adversaries targeting my network and things like that. So. That's really inspiring. And for people listening who want to get in touch with you to talk about technical interviews, but also threat hunting in more detail, is it okay for them to jump on the Tech Vets Discord channel yeah. and um, find Please you? Do. Yeah, so I'm listed on there. Uh, you'll see my name is just Shaw in there as well. Um, or if you want to connect on LinkedIn, it's Shaw spelled the same way with 256 at the end. So Okay, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Shaw, for joining me tonight for this um, TechFets episode. I think it has been hugely helpful and I think it will inspire a lot of people to start looking at some of the areas that you've mentioned but also go into those first interviews a bit better armed and potentially looking out for a mentor before they go into those interviews so thank you so much for joining us this evening yeah of course thank you for having me and if if there's any questions i left unanswered please just reach out i'm happy to answer any other questions you guys have so.